you probably have realized by now, I am not Pastor Doug. Too, too much hair, not enough height, way too much girth. Um, I am excited to bring you the word this morning. I love to preach. I don't get enough opportunity. Um, maybe I'm not very good, <laughs> but I love to do it. Um, the title of this is A Measurable Faith. I hope I can properly define that for you. Um, I thought you might want to know a little bit about me. My name is Craig Hamilton. I live in paradise with my wife, Debbie, and our daughter, Rachel, and our son, Josiah, and my son, Isaiah, is going to school at UC Irvine, and we will go pick him up this Friday when he graduates. Praise God. Uh, he has fought long and hard to get this degree, and uh, uh, don't be surprised if I lose some buttons. I am pretty proud. He is, in my family, only the second male to graduate from college. What? With a four-year degree, yes. Uh, my nephew beat him by about 10 years, but he had the help of the Navy. I am from Washington State. I grew up in a little town called Acme, which I'm sure you have all heard of from Bugs Bunny. The factory was in my backyard. No, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, we had 75 adults in that town. It was the biggest town in our valley. We had a garage and gas and two churches. I lived across the street from one of them. And uh, we had a picture window in our living room. And when they had their doors open, I could see the pulpit. It was a, it was a neat little town to grow up in. The river ran through it, and it was seven miles from the glacier. And it was cold in August. I learned to buck bales, and in case you're wondering what a bale is, it's hay. <laughs> I am a country boy from my start to my end. It's who I am. I can't deny it, and you will see it when I preach. Yeah, he's a country boy. <laughs> if you talk to me long enough, you'll know a little bit about me, and you'll go, how did this hayseed ever get to California? That's another sermon. But what about that? Who are those people that live out in the woods? What are they? We have little sayings like a stone's throw. Anybody know what a stone's throw is? What's a stone's throw? It's about yay so far. That's what it is. Closer than yonder. Then there's another little saying called two stone's throw. Two stone's throw does not mean twice as far as a stone's throw. What it means is anywhere beyond where you can see, like past that tree or as far as Japan. It is immeasurable. It means beyond my reason to figure out where that is. <clears throat> kind of silly, isn't it? There are also other little sayings like, is this a good day? What makes it a good day? Hmm? No. No. What makes it a good day is God said, I made it. That's right. Whatever God did is good. 
The arrogance of man says, because I'm alive. You are not alone. <laughs> I am there because oftentimes I'll come home, my wife will say, was it a good day? No. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean by that statement that you had a bad day yourself because you can have one. I drive a fuel truck for a living. And let me tell you, if you want to have a bad day, drive a fuel truck. So in the fuel industry, what we say is, if nothing blew up and nobody died, it was a good day. Right. Because if something blows up with a fuel truck, somebody died. Sure. And my wife is very gracious to allow me to do this. And we have all these little phrases that mean something to us. But what do they mean to God? He just laughs. Why? Because he's hilarious. God is hilarious. I used to work nights. And we had a saying, uh, it's morning because this is when I got up. I got up at 5 p.m., so it's morning. No, it isn't. It's evening. Why? God said so. Because the morning and the evening were what? The first day. And if morning and evening to, the, to God, the Almighty, are the first day, who are, what is it to us? It's morning and evening. Amen. Praise God that he set it in stone that the morning and the evening is a day. Not the evening, then the morning. Can you imagine the confusion if it was willy-nilly? Because this is June 10th, 2018, isn't it? Well, if we had people running around convinced that the evening was the morning, what day would this be? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It would just be whatever. This brings us to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Do you like light? I like light. Now, I have a, a very good vision at night. In fact, I see better at night than most other people. And so driving at night is not a big deal to me. My wife has night blindness. A little bit. And what, what she has really is if there's other lights, she can't see where she's going very well. <laughs> she, she has a hard time with the glare. And she will say to me, can you see that? And I'll read it to her. And she says, how do you see that? How can you see that far? Because here I am, 52 years old, and I don't need glasses. God likes me pretty fine. <laughs> now, that isn't to say that I can read the small print on this water bottle like I used to. But I still have 20-20 vision. So when I was younger, it was much better. And there was a time in my life where I needed glasses. So now you're going, hmm, <laughs> that doesn't work, Craig. <laughs> you cannot need glasses and then not need them. And I haven't had LASIK surgery. Um, my blood pressure got very high. And to drive a truck, you can't have high blood pressure. You can all understand that. So. My church began to pray for me that my blood pressure would come down. 
and when it came down, I didn't need my glasses anymore. God's that kind of God. Amen. We ask for such limited things, and he has immeasurable gifts, immeasurable abundance. Verse 4. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Why would I take time on a Sunday morning for all of you to talk about that? Stones throws and hay bales. Who cares, right? Because when you have a measurable faith, everything takes a different shape. And I was taught from when I was young about faith. I was born into the church. Um, I was sprinkled in a Lutheran church when I have no recollection of anything. Um, I received Jesus as my Savior when I was five. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was eight. Uh, which was the same year I was baptized in water in that very cold river. And let me tell you, you had to want to get baptized. (laughs) That was faith right there, let me tell you. This brings us to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Now, this can be intimidating all by itself, can't it? How many of you want to look up and see someone with their sword out pointed at you? Nah, it's not my... No, that's a bad day, right? No. Because Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or our adversaries? And he said, No, rather indeed I come... I'm sorry. Rather I indeed come now as captain of the Lord of hosts. And most theologians that I've read about say this was a theophany or a Old Testament presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Almighty. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down. That was a good plan. Because This supreme being has just made known to Joshua, listen, pal, I'm not on anybody's side. You're on mine or you're against me. Period. Is that simple? That's very simple. I have been on a journey with our Lord for a long time. And what I have found out about him is he is simple. But he's deeper than you can fathom. But you should try. And the more you try, the more he will reward you for your effort and in your learning and in your thirst for his immense, almighty, awesome, amazing being. Because what he says is, I am yours and you are mine. The almighty, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who has power to create, to cause life, or to bring death, says to us who are imperfect and without even a reason unless he gives it to us, he says to us because he can't help it, I am 
yours. He declares himself ours. We don't have to go chasing after him. He's right there. He loves you so much, he wants to indwell with his almighty presence within you and give you the power that was there to hang Jupiter in the sky and tell it to stay where he put it. The universe is an amazing place. My, my son Josiah took uh, what's astronomy? took astronomy a couple years ago, and him and I would talk about these things in outer space, and, and it further confirmed to me the awesomeness of our Lord God. Because what he thought of, if, you know what, if you think you have a wild imagination, you are incorrect. <laughs> you might have a vivid imagination. You might have, compared to other humans, a wild imagination. But compared to God, no. No, because who could think of what is out there? What, just what we know is out there. Who could think of that except someone whose imagination was so far beyond our capacity to reason that there it is? Who else could do that? Only our God. Only our God. So Joshua bowed down, and he says, What has my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And we know after this, Israel took Jericho by the power of the Lord God Almighty, because Joshua put his faith into action by communicating to the people because it relied on the people. Pastor Doug, by himself, cannot make the rivers successful. He has to have us. We, as a congregation, will make this church successful or we will make it fail. Do not allow for failure. Set in your heart, right now, this moment at 10.55 that you will not allow the rivers to fail. Now, I've known Pastor Doug 18 years. I served with him in Paradise. I was a staff pastor up there with, uh, with him as our senior pastor. And I was there when he went through the ugly things in his life. I watched him. I watched the most godly man I had ever met go through stuff and attacks from hell that no one should have to go through. And you know what he did? He stood up and he said, yet I will serve my God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my might. And look now how, how God has blessed him. Because he stood, his faith stood where his feet failed. Because I watched him and I'm telling you, his feet failed. And mine failed with him. I couldn't understand. I didn't understand it. I, I sometimes don't think still that I understand it. But what has come out of it is obviously the Lord God Almighty. He is a miracle. 
God is miracle. He is faith. He is happiness. He is great, 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 I'm sorry. He is great grace. He is mighty hope. And he is overwhelming mercy. And the reason I say it like that is because without his great grace, you will not realize his mighty hope. And if you don't have his mighty hope, when his overwhelming mercy comes, it will pass you by. You have to focus on those things. You need his love first to recognize those three things. And if you can put those four things together, that God is, they are not attributes that he possesses, okay? They are who he is, and he is who they are. English fails to properly define to you, or to me, exactly what I'm trying to tell you. It is a limited language and can't go that far. No language on earth can fully describe our Lord. But because of those things, if you can get on track with that, you cannot fail. Your faith will grow. Your faith has to grow. Because we serve the awesome God. And when I say that, understand that nothing else is awesome. Awesome is an extremely, extremely overused word. Oh, these chairs that we sit in at church, they're awesome. No, no, they're not. <laughs> when I was a, a kid in the 70s, there was a commercial about the Datsun 280ZX. Yeah, and, and this little kid, he comes up and he's looking in the window and he's dreaming, oh, this car is wonderful. It's awesome. No, no, it's, it's a Datsun. Okay. Give me a break. It, it is not awesome. We hear people describe other people as awesome. No, they're not. It is quite true that what God is doing in them is awesome. Yes, absolutely. What God has done in me, and if you doubt that, ask my wife, it is awesome. God is awesome. And everything he does. But if God is awesome, we need to stop describing things as awesome that aren't. We need to stop that. A little bit ago, we sang Oceans, and it, it is probably my favorite song ever. <laughs> uh, generally, when the music starts, I begin to weep. Not cry, okay? I weep. It's different, and that's another sermon, too. But check this out. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. Out where it's deep, the mystery of the ocean. Does anyone know what really is in the ocean? Mm -mm. No. No. Men will tell you they do, but, but they don't. They find new stuff all the time. Oh, we didn't know that was there. <laughs> Duh, you didn't know that was there. Now, my dad fought in World War II. And uh, he enlisted in the Navy on December 8th. 
and he was on a ship two weeks later. Usually boot camp is six weeks, right? Well, they were in a hurry. <clears throat> so they got him out on the USS Chicago, and it went to the Solomon Islands. And uh, the Allies were basically getting their heads handed to themselves by the Japanese then. And his ship was reported sunk seven times. And one time, they had to back it all the way from the Solomon Islands to Sydney, Australia, to have the bow put back on it. Because if they'd have went forward, it would have sank. So here they are in, this, uh, in the battle for the Solomon Islands. And uh, they put eight or ten torpedoes into this ship, the Japanese did. And when it sank, it sank over what we knew as the deepest part of the ocean at the time, the Marianas Trench, seven miles of water. The Japanese were circling around the ship when it sank to make sure this time that it was sunk. They weren't putting up with this stupid thing any longer. My dad was one of the last three people on the boat. He and another man pulled the captain off the ship, and the water was knee-deep when they got off. My dad was wounded on that ship. He, he uh, was carrying a man, in, in a battle before, he was carrying a man to sickbay that had been burned. And um, uh, lifeboats then were wooden, and a torpedo hit it hit the water and came up and hit a lifeboat and exploded that life raft and a six foot plank went through my dad's shoulder. And he dropped the man. So he reaches up and he breaks this plank off of his shoulder and he reaches down and he picks this man up and continues to sickbay with this guy. Because he would not give up so that this man could live. He disregarded himself so that this man could live. But he failed because that man was dead before he got to sickbay. He was probably dead when he picked him up the first time. But that's why he stayed on the ship to get the captain when the ship was lost and the captain was unconscious and could not do it for himself. That's why he stayed, because he would not give up. Church, that's what it is, immeasurable faith. Don't give up. Don't sit down. Don't take a break. Oh, but I'm tired. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. That doesn't mean don't go to sleep. Your physical body will run out. But in your spirit, you cannot give up. You must allow the Lord God to infuse you with your, his strength so that you can continue on and defeat the enemy. Because let me tell you something, church. The enemy's coming, and he's mad. He does not like what's going on here at all. Not one bit. And if you think... In the New Testament where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you, means when he comes, say, go away, devil. You, that's not going to work. <laughs> the Bible is your sword. 
Now the Lord gave me a dream and he showed me my sword. You ever see Braveheart? It's that big. That sword that William Wallace had, it's that big. It doesn't hurt that I'm of Scottish lineage, but again, that's another sermon. <laughs> but the sword I have, it has a jewel in the handle, and on the hilt, at the tips of the hilt, it has two more jewels. And down the crown of the blade on both sides, it has more jewels. And, and you know what? You know what Daddy told me about that sword, Chris? You know what he told me? It's mine, and I'm loaning it to you. You all have the same sword. It's his. He loans it to you. Why? It is the word of God. I am not unique that I get the only one like it. You all get it. You all have the same sword. Use it until you are proficient and you do not grow tired in swinging it. Because you know what? The enemy don't care if you're tired. He's still coming. He still hates you. Let me, let me stop there for a second. It isn't that he doesn't just like you, just dislike you a lot. Okay? He doesn't just become annoyed with you because you pray. He hates you. He wants you to die. He wants to kill you in the most inhumane way possible to cause you the most entire suffering to you and your loved ones and your church that he can possibly do. He is an ugly individual. Demons are not nice anywhere except for to lure you in. Take the bait. No, don't take the bait. When you see the bait, draw your sword and kill it. Cut it off from you. There's a reason the Bible says to flee youthful, youthful lusts. Less. Not stand there and go fishing with them. The Bible says to put on your whole army, armor, not dress casual. That's not a thing in the Bible. There's no dockers. Okay? Get your shield, get your sword, put on the rest of the armor, get that breastplate on good and tight. And go attack the enemy. Don't wait for him to come to your feet and get you. Yeah. It's way better to attack him than defend. Amen. Oh, but Craig, the, the enemy's on my side of the shield. Beat me in the nose. Then kill him. This is not just for fun. I wrestled in high school. And uh, one year I went to state... And I had to wrestle this kid that was the United States representative to Europe. And it was my second year wrestling. And I thought, I'm going to lose. <laughs> that was the only time I ever thought I was going to lose a match before I got on the mat. There were times that I was convinced after I'd already lost. <laughs> but that was the only time that I knew I was going to lose. And I pinned him in 10 seconds. Why? Because something inside me said, no, you're not. You are going to wrestle the match of your life to beat this kid. You have to. 
because he was pretty arrogant about, you know, I went to Sweden. Well, I don't care. <laughs> My very first match, I beat the kid that got fifth in state, the last before in the state of Washington. I'm going to beat you. But it took from him saying that until the whistle blew to start the round for me to be convinced. Well, I'm telling you, church, be convinced now. You beat Satan. We beat hell. Have you read Revelation, anybody? Yep. Amen. We win, right? Yeah. So be a triumphant church and go out and beat him up. Get your life back. Be free. All these songs we sing about freedom, they're not just nice little things to sing. They don't move your heart and your soul because, oh, I just want to feel better. We all want to feel better. But we have got to get the mentality that, yes, we are in the Lord's army. We have to fight like our life depends upon it. Because not only yours does, but your loved ones. Those who are not yet saved. Those unsaved Christians walking about that you know depend upon you winning. Now, you're going to lose some. You just are, because guess what? You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. I lose all the time. But in my losses, I learn. Next time I see that, I'm not going to take that from him. I'm going to get him out of my life over and over and over. Where does faith come from? Hearing the word, that, that's good. Where else does it come from? Where does it really come from? It comes from God. It comes from the cross, from Jesus. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. You have no faith unless God gives you faith. Its strength comes from you exercising it, just like if you were doing push-ups. Oh, but I can only do like 10 push-ups. Well, you know what? I've been doing push-ups for the last few months. And when the first time I did them, I, I really struggled to get that 10th one out. But now I'm doing like 300 a day. I've lost 18 pounds. I did this about four years ago. And I lost all the weight I wanted to lose. And then guess what? I gained 61 pounds. <laughs> That's what happens, isn't it? Yeah. Why? I got comfortable. I said, that's, that's plenty, and I don't need to do this anymore, and I can let my guard down, and then life got ugly. My mother died. My sister died. Six or eight other people died that were very close to me or that I worked with. And I kind of lost what I was doing a little bit. Don't, don't think, oh, poor Pastor Craig. No. It was a battle, and I blew it. Put my sword down. What a moron. I know better. Where, what good is a warrior without his sword? You don't see anybody in the U.S. Army going out to battle without their machine gun. No. Nobody walks out there and just, oh, you know, enemy, fall down. Why? why? 
That doesn't work unless you're the Lord God and you say, I am. Because he can't lose. But when we get arrogant, guess what happens? We lose every time. God will not honor arrogancy. Our faith will be made stronger in the presence of our Savior. Then what what does that song say after that? What's it say? Because I will call upon your name. Hebrews 11 has a lot of great men of faith. Think about David and Samson. Think about David with a bear and a lion and Goliath and a rock. Samson with a, a jawbone or a couple of foxes and a match. Barnabas. You guys know who Barnabas is? Do you know what his real name is? <laughs> Joseph. Do you know what Barnabas means? Barnabas is a nickname. Do you know what it means? Son of encouragement. Yeah. What a great nickname. Aaron, wouldn't you love to show up to church and somebody say, man, here comes encouragement. Awesome. Yes. God did that in me. It's awesome. Yeah. Because before God, that's not who I was. No. Think about Moses crossing a sea on dry land with millions of people while an army's chasing him with chariots. And then watch all those chariots drown. Great faith, men of great faith. Jesus, making water into wine, healing the lame, causing the blind to see and the sick to not be sick. It's awesome. Think about Gideon, Judges 6 11. What do we know about Gideon? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Gideon's Bible. (laughs) Well, I was thinking a little more scriptural than that, but... (laughs) No, he was a chicken, right? Yeah, the fleece. I have no faith. Well, yeah, obviously. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizur. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the, the Midians. And the reason he was doing that is because the Midians would come out at night and take all the food and all the animals, and the Israelites had nothing to eat. Would you get tired of that? I get tired of that. Because you know what? I don't know if you've noticed, I like to eat. It's, it's, I'm good at it. I can down a whole chicken, and it doesn't even, doesn't even slow me down. You put barbecue in front of me, it disappeared. That's right. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero to the chicken. Mighty hero. Do you know God never said that about anybody else in the entire Bible? Just Gideon? 
Gideon the chicken. Self-proclaimed. I'm a chicken. No. God says, mighty hero, sorry, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Gideon replies, sir, the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Well, if you look back a ways, there's a reason for that. Israel was sinning. The Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord... You ever say that? Yeah. I can't talk. I have a speech impediment. Now look, Moses. Just go. Oh no, Lord, I can't do it. Fine. We're going to send Aaron. That's going to end badly for him because he is not who I have ordained for this. But you're going anyway, Moses. You're going to do it because I am the Lord and I said so. But since you insist, we're going to send your brother with you, your big brother. That didn't end well for Aaron, did it? Now, it was fine while they were in Egypt. But when they got to where Moses goes to get the the Ten Commandments, what happens to Aaron? He looks like a fool. Because who says, well, we just threw the gold in the fire and the cow jumped out? Yeah. But the Gideon, Gideon says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest of the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. I am a chicken. I am weak. You need somebody strong for this. You need a mighty hero. Oh, that's what you just called me. Huh. Can you imagine the confusion in his head? Yeah. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. An army against one man. And we know that Gideon went and he got an army. And the Lord said, you have too many. And then again he said, you have too many. And Gideon's going, one, two, three, four, five, a thousand, ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, eighty, two, three, four hundred thousand. Are you sure, Lord? Have you taken math? Did you go to high school? Yeah. And God got them down to 300 men. And suddenly, somehow, Gideon got it. Finally, he gets it. The Lord will fight for me. Ah, who can lose then? Nobody. If God fights for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Nobody. What did that take? Something changed in Gideon. He went from a doubter to a man of immeasurable faith. I believe the Lord God Almighty can do what he says he will do. And not only that, not only do I believe that he can, I believe that he will, and I believe that he's going to right now. And what happened? 
the Midianites killed themselves. The men of Israel did not even raise a sword. All they did was get a little bread out and put a light in a pot and break the pot open and scream. When does that win a battle? How does that even happen? A whole army attacks itself because their, the Bible says, their hearts melted like wax. Fear. What's fear? What? The opposite of faith. What does fear do? Lies. So if fear has crept into your life, get it out. Because where did it come from? The enemy. Because our Lord God Almighty gave us Say, say the verse, Deb. It's your favorite. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to put her on the spot, okay? Hmm? Not a spirit of fear. Love. Power. Sound mind. A sound mind. From the Lord. Amen. How do we arrive at this great faith? How do we come to a place where there is nothing, you can tell I'm lost in my notes here, can't you? Where there is nothing that keeps us from what God wants us to do. Here it is. How do we get to where we trust him without borders and have immeasurable faith? You have to do like Shamgar. I'm getting a lot of blank looks. You, you don't know about Shamgar? You, you don't know about Shamgar? Oh, my. <clears throat> Shamgar was a judge of Israel. Shamgar was a nobody except for two verses in the Bible. There's a couple other verses that talk about a judge named Shammah, and most theologians believe they are the same person, but there is no real proof of that. So what we have is Shamgar at his home, and the army of the Philistines come across his land, and Shamgar takes a sharp stick and kills 600 Philistines with no effort. Six hundred armed men of the strongest army on the planet with a sharp stick, also known as an ox goad. That is great faith in your Lord. Because he didn't just wait till they came. He went out and got them. He didn't go stand with his back against a wall so we only had to defend the front. No, he went out in a bean field and took them on. Why? Because it was his. And he wasn't going to give it to the enemy. And he had great immeasurable faith that he could not lose. Church, great immeasurable faith says you can't lose. You can't lose. 
So how is it that we lose? Why did Peter sink in the water? Doubt. Now let it be said, 11 guys stayed in the boat and Peter got out of the boat. Okay, let's not forget that. Church, get out of the boat. But just keep your eyes on the Lord. Because I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter how deep the water is. If you start to sink, it will scare you. Just stand up. It's only three feet deep. Well, I didn't know that. I thought it was a deep ocean. But it doesn't matter if it's three feet deep or seven miles. If God says walk on the water, just walk on the water. Do, do you know people still do that today? They walk on the water? Do you know that? There are stories that I've heard of people in like India or China that they want to get to the Bible study. And if they have to walk around the lake, they're going to be late. Not just late, but they'll, well, like when they go get to the Bible study, everybody's having the juice after the party and they're going home. But if they walk across the lake, they'll be there in like 15 minutes because it's a big lake. And guess what they do? They walk across the lake. People in China want to get baptized so badly. To hide it from the army, they will go out to a frozen lake or a pond or a river, and they will break through the ice to get baptized. What do we know about cold water like that? It's cold. Hypothermia. It will kill you. Yeah. But they get baptized. Why? Because God has shown them something in a land without hope that is hope. What do people need? We need hope. But not just hope. God's hope. God's hope. God started something here in this church. And it is rare in Christianity today. What is going on in the rivers is rare. As I told you before, I've been in churches my whole life. So has my wife. And we have seen what's going on here not even a handful of times. Now, that is not to say that this is the only place it's going on. It's not even the only place going on in this town. But it isn't going on everywhere. But we can't let it die. We have to use that faith to go and get the enemy. And if somebody tells you, oh, you know what? All you have to do is just trust God and he'll fight for you and you just step over the demons' bodies so you don't trip. And they're lying. They're lying. <clears throat> I'll just use this one illustration and then, and then we're going to be done. There was a farmer that uh, he had plowed this field. And, and uh, you know, last year he didn't own the field and he bought the field because it was well, wasteland. And he went out and he plowed it and he got the weeds out of it and he put fertilizer in it and his crop was coming up. And the pastor of his church stopped by and he looked out and he says, oh, 
look what God's done. And the farmer said, look what God and I have done. And the pastor said, oh, don't be arrogant. And the farmer said, pastor, did you see this field when God was doing it by himself? That's life for a Christian. It isn't about sitting in the pew chair and waiting God for, do some, for God to do something. Pray and seek and fight and claw and like it is as though your life depends upon it. Because it does. Everything about a Christian walk being successful and not being one of these Christians that, wow, I didn't know they were a Christian. Do you want that said about you? No. No. Where I work, I work at a truck stop. Yes, I work at a truck stop. And everybody knows I'm a pastor that works there. Why? I did not go through there with a sign and stop and tell everybody that worked there that I'm a pastor. No. A couple people asked me what was different about me. And I told them I was a Christian. And it came out in conversation that I'm a pastor. And they told everybody, those few people, and so everybody knows. So guess what? When somebody has a problem and they need prayer, who do they talk to? Sure. Where you work, that should be normal. They should all be coming to you. I need prayer. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you that you are the author and finisher of our faith, faith and you make us able to have faith immeasurable. You make it so that we can where we should fail. Because you have the tools and you have the strength and you have the power and you have the love and the mercy to make us successful and immeasurable in you. To have the faith to heal, to see the lame walk, to see legs grow where there was no leg before, to see there be eyes where there were no eyes, and to see in the spiritual realm the army of the Lord. If you guys are here this morning and you want prayer for this, if you want someone to pray with you about you having immeasurable faith, please come and see me when we're done. Don't leave here if you, if you really are thirsting after that. I want to pray with you. I not only want to, it is the desire of my heart. Lord, help us as we go from here to realize that we are in the mission field when we leave here and we will either be a good, good testimony for you or we will be a bad one. Put it on our hearts to be a good one. Rise up in us that we are bold for you, that we stand for you. We put what we think will make us feel comfortable, but what is sin aside. Praise you, our Lord God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.